Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Gospel Nate, the show where we look into the Word of God to see how He wants us to live. Last week we touched on James 5, verses 5 through 8. We looked at various ideas of what luxury could be for different people. We looked at how murder in the heart works and how that is always bad. We also looked at how God does not resist our free will. Remember that James was written to the modern church. It was not written to Jews who did not have Jesus. So there's something to think about there. We also looked at the need to be patient. Sometimes things in life don't go well. So we call on the Lord to gain wisdom for that situation. We call on the Lord for the provision that we need in that situation. And we looked at the fact that our timing is not the same as His. So we have to be patient and wait for His response. Trust that He will take care of us and that He will provide for us. That was the point of the covenant in the first place, provision for salvation and literally everything else that goes with it. With that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word and your message. And Lord, as we dive into the next part of this chapter, we just ask that your spirit would be with us, that you would give us the revelation we need as we listen. And Lord, that the hearers of the message would be blessed by it. And we ask for these things giving you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's dive in. James 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands at the door. So it looks like I'm going to get right into meddling as soon as we leave the gate here. On the surface, this could be taken as a judgment thing, and it technically is, but it's also more. The word grumble is the word stenazo which means to sigh or groan. The phrase against one another is two words, kata, meaning down, and alelon means another or each other. Do not groan down at or about each other. In other words, stop complaining. Now, we do this all the time. Seriously, we really do. We meet someone or there is someone currently in our lives and they rub us the wrong way and we get all upset about it. Before we even think of the consequences, words start coming out of our mouth hole and we're complaining about this person. Now, I've done this, I have friends that have done this, and the question you have to ask is, to what end do we do this? If we look back at Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. How many people listening right now know that complaining about someone is speaking death? Show of hands? Anyone? Just kidding, I can't see you anyways. But seriously though, we speak as if they can never change. We speak as if they are just bad, bad news. Even if all we are trying to do is communicate how one aspect drives us nuts. Now, story time, I know a guy. He is always talking about the places he has lived and the things he has done. It's always the same story. To say it gets annoying after hearing them 10 times in a day is something of an understatement. But you have to stop and ask a question about this. Why is he telling those stories over and over again? Is he trying to be known? When you get down to the root of what is going on, that is the point. He has low self-esteem and a bad self-identity. I know he does not know Jesus. I know he has wounds in his heart. Until he comes to Jesus, he will always have those wounds. Therefore, he will always have that false identity. 
Therefore, he will always be promoting who he wants other people to see him as. Desperate to be known without knowing who he is. And yes, the stories are still annoying to listen to every single day, so what's the difference? Why even bring this man up? Because I did not see this about him until I took it to Jesus. Until I chose to lay down my soul at the throne of the Father, I did not see this man correctly. As a result, I complained about him nearly constantly. And to what end? I did not benefit from it. He did not benefit from it. So it all came down to my flesh. Me being gratified by me. How many people know that that isn't useful for yourselves or anyone else? I won't wait for a show of hands this time because I still can't see you. But here's the real problem for us. When we grumble or complain down at or about someone, what are we doing? We're forming judgments against them or venting the judgments that are already there. We are walking into a trap of our own making, and this is why the relationship with Jesus and the Father is so critical. It is why when things start to irk us, it is important to go before the throne sooner rather than later. There's a whole passage in John about this. If you go to John 10, verse 11 through 18, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his soul for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so, I know the Father, and I lay down my soul for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me, because I lay down my soul that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Now, every time I read the word soul, your Bible will probably say life. It's a wrong translation. The Greek word there is suke for soul. He is talking about his mind, his will, and his emotions. What Jesus thinks, feels, and wants for the sheep is directly from the Father. He has the power to take hold of his soul and lay it down. He has the power to pick it up again. And we have that same power. Jesus gave it to us. But we must first have a firm grasp on what we are trying to lay down. It isn't going to work if we just say, Lord, I lay down this stuff and then walk away. Because what are you laying down? Example, this person is driving me nuts with his stories. I just wish he would shut up because I am tired of hearing them. That would be called being honest with God and having a firm grasp on what you are laying down. You are frustrated. You do not want to hear the stories. You just wish he would shut up. Fun fact, this does not make the stories any less annoying to hear over and over again. This does give me the, the ability, however, to love him regardless of how it makes me feel. At the drop of a hat, I can go before the Father and lay down what I am feeling. I don't have to hold it onto it. I can pick up what the Father feels towards this guy and act that out. I have taken the time to examine my emotions and see what I am feeling. I fully understand why I am annoyed and wanting to tell the other person to stuff it. So now I know what I'm laying down. 
This also means that I will have a better understanding of what I am picking up from the father. A cool aspect of this is when you know you have an area that you need to lay down, and you go lay it down, and the instructions seem to be different or less. That means that your heart is starting to line up with the father. Because of that, there is less to have to tell you. Don't confuse this with ignoring what the father is telling you so that you can go run off and take out your flesh on the other person. That will come back to bite you. But how awesome is this? We can change entire outcomes by finding out what the father wants us to do. Now you have a method available to you to help you in your walk to maturity. But someone will say, but Mr. Nate, this is talking about sheep, which means it's the flock of Jesus. So when it comes to unbelievers, I shouldn't have to do this. But do you want to know, O foolish man, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Right there is everything you need to know, whether they are of the body of Christ or whether they are of the world. You need to be able to love them with a love you can only get from Jesus. In our group, we have a couple of saying water pipes get wet and what god can get through you he can get to you the idea is that if you lay down your soul meaning your mind will and emotions and you take up the father's soul for others you will gain the same love he has for them and you will gain a better understanding of how his heart works and what he wants for you if you are the pipeline for that love you are going to be wet inside with that love if you shut down the love, the pipes will corrode and you will be damaged as well as those around you. So it is important to keep this love thing flowing. Ask any plumber and they will tell you, when the water stops moving in the pipes, the pipes start to corrode. Now, the first part of James 5 verse 9 said, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Condemned is the Greek word katakrino. It means to judge worthy of punishment. The grumbling comes from a judgment in your heart. And we are right back to James 4 verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And we covered that a few episodes ago when we were discussing judging Jesus as well. Again, we are looking at a position that we don't want to be in, ever, for any reason. For whatever measure you judge with, it will be judged back to you. This passage we are looking at, looking at finishes off with James, the last part of James 5.9. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What door? Door to your heart? Door to your soul? Door to reality? Let's not focus too much on the nitty-gritty of what door is in question, but rather focus on the implication here. This is one of the few times you'll ever say, hear me say this sort of thing because I like the nitty-gritty. But in this particular case, the idea is that the judge, the only righteous judge, is standing right outside the door of fill-in-the-blank of whatever. 
He's right outside. He's standing right there. He can hear what's happening on the other side of the door. Jesus is that only righteous judge. He is the only one capable of discerning a heart correctly and passing judgment. We typically come at almost every position from the perspective of wrath. For those just joining us, wrath is anger with a judgment behind it. And that is typically the only, in air quotes, anger that we have experienced in our lives. Most of us do not know what righteous anger is. But the judge who is standing at the door, he is present enough that it should give you pause before you start going down that line of reasoning. If you go back to the word behold, you will find it is the Greek word I do. It is a command to look at something. Look for yourself. Jesus is not far from you. We cannot just drop him off at the park and go sin. He is with us through every single moment. He knows what you are doing and he knows you are doing it and why you are doing it. He knows the excuses you are telling yourself to justify it or the lies you are telling yourself. Take your pick, it doesn't matter. So be conscious of the fact that Jesus, the righteous judge, is very present, near at hand to be precise. Do not allow yourself to fall into the trap of grumbling and complaining and judgment. Take the time to learn how to lay down your soul for others. I did not say to others, I said for others. The only place you should ever be laying down your soul is before the Father. Once you know what he thinks, feels, and wants for the other person, you can pick it up. Once you have picked it up, you can minister it to someone else. And remember that the laying down requires you to actively have a hold of what it is you are trying to lay down. You must know it. Why? Because it's never good enough to just throw a casual prayer out of, God changed my attitude. That's not an actual submission of your will. You have to actually want the change. You have to recognize that there's a problem in the first place and say, okay, Lord, I thought this, I said this, I did this, it was wrong. Please forgive me. Show me how to have a right response. Show me how you feel about this person. Show me what you think about this person. I guarantee it's going to change your outlook and everything that you're doing. Know the what, know the why, practice the how. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this message that you have given. Lord, we thank you that you are available to us at the drop of a hat to show us and teach us how we are to live a better life with you, how we are to love other people, because your heart is first and foremost about love, and you know the needs and you know the hearts of everyone that you want in your flock, and that would be everyone. And we just give you the praise and the thanks for that love. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>